Thank you, praise team. This morning, and, and we, us pastors do this to, to ourselves all the time, we have people up here singing and playing instruments and sounding really good, and then you got the preacher stands up and, you know, for the next half hour, you're going to listen to me. But I hope that you engage in what we're looking at. The chapter in the Bible we're looking at this morning is one that could be written today and would be just as relevant as it was in Acts chapter 17. So if you have your device with you, a Bible with you, I'm going to encourage you to turn there and follow along. Acts chapter 17. I've entitled the sermon this morning, Guaranteed Results. Now, I'm looking back in this audience, and there are about 15 guys in this audience that want to hand it to me in about an hour out here on the track. Every single one of them is going to try to beat me and humiliate me in front of the hometown crowd. And I know that, by the way, they're all friends of mine. We all get along well. But they're going to do everything they can do to make me look bad. Well, guess what? I'm going to do everything I can do to make them look bad. Do you know what? There are no guarantee that they're going to make me look bad or I'm going to make them look bad. And yes, when we're on the track, we are not enemies, but we are competitors. Amen? Guys, amen? Yeah. I know that. Uh, on the other hand, what did I do? Oh, okay. I forgot about that. If you have someone who is in kindergarten through third grade, you are dismissed for junior church. Sorry about that. Okay, I got humiliated by the associate pastor already. So, so well, no, that's my fault. Okay, but anyway, the whole point is there are no guaranteed results in much of anything in this world today. But here's what I do know from the end of the chapter, that when we look at what we've been singing about, about the blood of Christ, about Christ's work, about the resurrection, um, every single one of you will have a decision in your mind by the time we're done today. Here's the end of the sermon before we even start. Some people believed what the Apostle Paul told them as he spoke to them. Some people sneered and mocked and said, basically, you're a babbler. And others said, you know what? That's interesting. We need to hear more. And that's the challenge. There's a guaranteed result that you will make a decision as a result of this sermon. But in life, there aren't all that many things that have a guaranteed result. <clears throat> if some of you don't know this yet, this year has been horrible for hornets and yellow jackets and all those kinds of things. And here at the church, if you look right above that window, there's a shiny spot. That's because up right there where the duct tape is, the yellow jackets literally ate through the duct tape, I mean the, uh, the drywall tape, and came into the building one Sunday morning we came in here and guys what a hundred at least yellow jackets there were a whole bunch and we were killing them for about an hour and a half uh, and they're nasty <clears throat> I tried to kill them Peter tried to kill them we emptied three or four cans of spray it still got rid of some of them but it didn't get rid of all of them then we had another nest in the soffit behind the toddler room up there we couldn't get rid of those uh, we had them back in the metal shed, and they were under a bunch of junk. I had to get in the skid loader and close the doors 
and move the stuff, and I had yellow jackets everywhere. Now, there were no guaranteed results that I or guaranteed that I would not get stung. I was trying my best. In fact, this dummy me, uh, Peter and I went uh, down there after church on a Wednesday night to look at what the situation was. Stupid me. Thank you. <clears throat> yeah, for some reason I need that. Thank you. Stupid. <clears throat> wow. <clears throat> I had a flashlight in my hand and I shined it at them to see where they were. They don't fly very well at night, but I'll tell you what, if you put a flashlight in their eyes, they'll get you and bam, right there I got hit. So I did get hit, but finally I did some research and found out if you get the powder stuff and we could get rid of them, got rid of them in a day there, a day there, and uh, there's another guy from, uh, that comes to church. He got stung at least five or six times mowing his yard. He's a very smart guy, but I'm not sure he's sure too practical. We sprayed it. We got rid of a bunch of them. And then I told him to take a hose and put down. That got rid of them for a few days. And then they came back. And then I went and hit them with the powder. But you know what? There were no guaranteed results on any of those things. This world does not offer those kinds of things. There is no assurance in this world. Only with Jesus Christ is there assurance that you can know something for sure, for sure. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. <clears throat> so, Acts chapter 17. Sorry, folks. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul and others were traveling, and um, they, every place they went, they went to the synagogue, and that's where Paul was a Jew. Uh, he was a Jewish leader at one time, so he had an open invitation to come in. And that's exactly what he did. And in Thessalonica, that's exactly what he did. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath. And <clears throat> according to his tradition, his way of living and the way of life, he went in and for three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scripture. That would have been basically the Old Testament. And said, here's what's going to happen. Here's what you need to know. There is a Messiah who... Old Testament said was coming, and indeed he has come, and he was crucified and died to pay for your sin, and then on third day he rose again. And that's what it said, that Christ suffered for our sins. He paid the debt of our sin, and the third day he rose, and he said, this is the Jesus that I'm proclaiming to you. He is the Christ. He's the anointed one. He's the Messiah. He's the one that came and fully represents God. As a result of that, verse 4 says that a number of those Jewish people were persuaded and they joined with Paul and Silas and a number of the Gentiles and even the women, it mentions, joined in and they believed in the gospel, what Will was talking about, the good news that our sins, while they're overwhelming and we cannot do a thing about it, were paid for by Jesus Christ when he died on the cross and shed his blood. That is what saved us from our sins. The resurrection proves that God was satisfied with that payment. It proves Jesus Christ was who he said he was. Now, other Jews didn't like it. Remember, the Jews had kind of a monopoly on religion. 
put it this way. If you got something, I don't know why all of a sudden my voice is messed up. If anybody doesn't know this, my wife, look how good she takes care of me. <laughs> this hasn't happened to me for a long time. Maybe that's why I'm retiring, because my voice is going. I don't know. But anyway, the Jews in that city didn't like it. And there was a man named Jason. He took Paul and his companions in, and uh, they figured that out. So they went to his house, and they were going to drag him out, and they were going to beat him up and, um, because he welcomed Paul into his house. And so there's one thing you need to know about the Roman Empire. Many of the cities and even countries like Israel were sort of independent. So the Romans let you kind of do your own thing as long as you kept order. <clears throat> if there were riots and confusion and uh, things were disorderly, they're going to step in and you don't want them to step in. And so they were really upset about that whole thing. And finally, the city authorities came out and uh, they talked to Jason they got some kind of a uh, pledge from him, and uh, so they backed off, and the riot was over. But Paul's companions and those who were with him said, Paul, it's time for you to get out of here. And so he left immediately, and he went from there to Berea. And when he arrived there, would you think that he was intimidated because of what happened at the last city? Not a chance. He immediately went right into the synagogue and started teaching the gospel one more time. A bunch of people believed. They believed Jesus Christ was Messiah, the one who died to save them. And then the Jews, who were from Thessalonica, weren't satisfied with chasing him out of Thessalonica. They came to Berea and start hounding him again. He couldn't win. He went out of town. They just chased after him, and they started agitating and stirring up the crowds one more time. Man, I'll tell you what. This guy's a troublemaker, right? He's teaching the good news. He's preaching the good news. People are in Christ. They know they're going to go to heaven. Their sins are forgiven. And every place he goes, a riot starts. So immediately, he leaves one more time, and this time he's going to go to Athens. <clears throat> and so he does leave, and he gets to Athens, and while he's waiting for his companions to catch up, he is kind of wandering around in the city. Now, Mike Snavely, he's here someplace. Him and I had the privilege of being in Athens and Corinth about five or six years ago, and it's ruins today. But the old city of Athens is still there, well represented by very heavy-duty stone structures and those kinds of things. And uh, it's a pretty impressive place. And Paul is walking around and he's checking out what's going on in the city. you got to know that Athens is the educational center, the academic center of Greece. They have a lot of people that are educated and, and knowledgeable and things like that. But Paul notices something. The city is full of idols. An idol is some kind of image, some kind of God with a small g that people worship. Today you go, why are you talking to us about that? Because we don't have idols here. We don't have gold statues or stone statues or any of those kinds of things. 
No, we have a different kind of idols today, folks. Our idols are money, power, prestige, a hobby, a sport, uh, our favorite subject to speak on or our favorite philosophy or TV program or something. Anything that gets first place in our life can even be your work. Your work is good, right? Yeah, of course. But if it's the center of your life and the only thing that you focus on, it becomes an idol. So there's all kinds of idols. Anything that gets between you and the true God who made heaven and earth, that's an idol. And he sees these idols. In their case, they were actually statues and things like that. And um, they looked at these things and they worshiped them. Now you say, okay, they were pagan, they were secular and, and all that kind of stuff. That's true. But Paul being who he was, and I'm going to encourage you if, you, if you know that you've trusted Christ, this is going to be for you. Follow what Paul did. If you don't know for sure if you've trusted Christ, then the opposite is true. Listen to what the Apostle Paul is doing. So he is reasoning with them, and what does he do? He goes into the synagogue one more time. He's also reasoning with the God-fearing Gentiles, and he goes to the marketplace. Now, in Athens, the marketplace is still there. The buildings are there. They've been reconstructed, but it's huge. If you think shopping malls and big malls are something new, like Mall of America is something new, Greece had them almost 2,000 years ago. It's huge. I don't know how long it takes to walk from one end of the, to the other, but it takes quite a while to do that. And uh, he goes right down where all the people were gathering. It was a place you could buy things. It was a place that you could have entertainment. And it was a place where you could have a public forum. And so it was just kind of everything put together like a big mall. And uh, Paul goes down there. And every day he talked about Jesus to everyone that showed up there. Now, you can imagine, he was a busy guy. And uh, <clears throat> some of the people that were the educated people there were the Epicurean philosophers and the Stoic philosophers. They were kind of the intellectuals of this whole thing. Not so much idol worshipers, but they had a philosophy that they promoted. The Epicureans said, really, the chief end of man is happiness and pleasure. Not in the sense that you're laughing and joking and, you know, having entertainment like that, but basically avoiding the excesses, avoiding fear, having peace in your life, freedom from pain, and, oh, we love mankind. We love everybody. Sounds like the 60s. All we need is love, right? You know, some of you old folks will remember that. You new ones probably don't remember those things, but all we need is love. Well, that was them. And uh, then there were the Stoics. They were a little bit different, but uh, they believed that there was some great purpose. They didn't believe in a God, but some kind of unknown, unidentifiable purpose. And the only thing that mattered in life is you got on board with that all-consuming purpose in life. In other words, you, in essence, went with the flow. That leads very much to self-righteousness and self-sufficiency and pride and those kinds of things. Well, the Apostle Paul is standing toe-to-toe, nose-to-nose, and eyeball-to-eyeball with these guys, and he is discussing it. He has no problem with that. He has no problem mixing it up with them. 
and they were conversing with him, and some were saying to him, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Now, idle babbler sounds like he was just speaking like he didn't know what he was talking about. That's pretty much what they were saying. But here's what the word actually is in Greek. It means a seed picker. Now, I grew up on a farm, and uh, we had some chickens. My brothers and I hated chickens. We were okay with cows and those kinds of things. But we hated chickens. Um, they're just nasty, dirty, and a whole lot of other things, and a pain in the neck. But we had uh, a chicken yard about the size of this auditorium. There were a couple chicken houses in it. The chickens were my mom's project, by the way. Um, that was her own personal endeavor, her own personal project. But um, there was a fence around it, and we would let the chickens out. And uh, when we would have food scraps, we'd throw them over the fence, and the chickens would go around pecking. Even if you feed the chickens, they still go around scratching all day and pecking. That's what they do. Dig holes and all that kind of stuff. They're saying, hey, Paul, that's what you're doing. You, you don't know what, and chickens will peck at anything almost. Well, we had that same thing, and my brother, uh, one below me, uh, he had a FFA project of capons, and I think he had 25 or 30 of them, and he left them out there, uh, and he fed them a lot, but they would go around the yard, and they were pecking and scratching and all that. Well, in the meantime, my brothers and I dug up a fox den, and we took out two cubs. One my brother gave to one of his friends, and within a 24-hour period, it ran away, and the other one we kept, and we put it in one of these little chicken coops in the chicken pen. Now, the thing never became friendly. It was never tame at all. Fact is, when you went to feed it, it bared those teeth. And I don't know if you've ever seen fox teeth, but they look like white needles. They are nasty. And he, you know, he would, well, we made sure we always locked the door. Now, I was not the last one to feed him, so I'm, I'm going to plead innocent here. But somebody didn't put the latch back. And it got out. And those chickens that were going around pecking and, you know, having a good time. I don't remember exactly, but at least half of them were dead or injured to the point they had to be killed. Because that fox just went crazy when he got out of there. But they're saying, hey, Paul, you're like those chickens. You're just going around. You're pecking here and pecking here. You, you don't know what you're talking about. That's, in essence, what he was saying. And uh, I think they were a little like, they thought, we're the foxes. We know better. And what they said is, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities. Remember, they have all kinds of idols, all kinds of gods. And there's one they don't know about. They say, man, he's different than us. Because remember, all religion is man-centered. It's man-made. An idol is man-made, a philosophy is man-made, an idol is man-made. You name it, it's all man-made. It's the imagination of man's mind. The Apostle Paul is saying it's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. Totally the opposite of religion. This is faith in the one true and living God. And uh, so he's preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Resurrection is supernatural. It doesn't fit with religion because religion basically says, hey, we can get along okay. 
doesn't matter if it's one of the philosophies I already explained or something else. You can do it. You can do it on your own. You can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Paul says, no, it's because of the resurrection. So what do they do? They take him from the marketplace and they take him to the Areopagus. It is on top of the hill. It is where the city officials would get together. The Supreme Council of the city would meet there. Um, and the really intellectual conversations would take place there, the really important stuff. And so they invite him up. Now think about this. They think he's a little crazy, but they say, we want to hear what's going on. And so they say, we want to know what this new teaching is that you're proclaiming. For you're bringing to us some strange things to our ears, and we want to know, therefore, what these things mean. They said, we just simply don't understand you. That's pretty clear that they're like, yeah, we hear what you're saying, but we don't understand it. Now, verse 21, if you're looking in your Bible, I want you to look there, because this is one of the key phrases in this passage. Now, all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. Yeah. Sounds like COVID, people going around and around for this last year. Uh, I mean, I've heard everything you can think of, and people go round and round and round and round and round and round. And um, I'm not telling you I know what's true and what's not true. I just know that people are going round and round and round. Well, that, and you'd never come to a real good conclusion. Well, guess what? That's what they did all the time. That was their pastime. Like we would watch movies or something like that. Uh, that's what they would do. They just thought that was great. Sounds good, except you never come to a conclusion. There are no conclusions. There's no final answer. Paul is preaching a final answer. Very different from that. And so Paul is up on top of the hill, and today it's a bunch of really big rocks. Mike and I were up there, and you can see across the city and all that kind of stuff. It's, kind of, it's really neat. And um, he said when he's in front of them, and they invited him, which is kind of cool, I observe that you are very religious in all aspects. He doesn't look at them and say, you bunch of heathens, you don't know anything. He said, no, I understand something. You're very religious. Let's face it, every person in the world, I don't care what you believe right now, you're a religious person. Because there is something in your life that you believe gives it meaning, something you focus on. You're religious in some way, shape, or form. Even if you believe there's no God at all, that makes you a religious person because you're a humanist. You're looking only at yourself and saying, I can solve the problems on my own. So Paul takes them right where they are. He, said, he doesn't say, you got the wrong religion. He says, no, 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 you're very religious. So he meets them right where they are. Right exactly what they're thinking. And he says, and here's what I've observed. Now, he's going to go right to where they're at. He says, while I was passing through and examining the object of your worship, that would be altars and statues and those kinds of things, he said, I found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Do you know what that means? They were never secure in what they believed and what they worshiped because they were afraid, and by the way, uh, we'll use the word 
uh, suspicion, and we'll use the word ignorance, because there was something they knew was beyond what they knew. They knew there had to be something. And so to make sure that uh, they didn't miss anything, they had this altar to an unknown God. Something, someone, some idol, or whatever that they didn't know about. The truth of the matter is, there is a real God with a capital G that is above and beyond everything else. And so he says, you know, you're, you're worshiping this, and he uses this word. He says, what therefore you worship in ignorance. Ignorance is not, oh, you're stupid or you're, you're dumb or something like that. It's not, it just means you're uninformed. You just don't have the right information. So the Apostle Paul says, you believe there's an unknown God, one you don't even know his name. Let me tell you about him. That's the one you need to know about. He's above and beyond all the rest of what you guys worship and what you guys look to. And so he says, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. He is going to tell them about the one true and living God. And in, um, well, actually starting next Sunday morning, I'm going to be teaching a Sunday school class on creation. I think I'm going to use this passage to actually start the class off. Because here's what the Apostle Paul says to these people. Remember, they are looking for truth. They're just ignorant. They just don't have all the information. Paul says, I'm going to give you the information you need to know. He said, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Religion says, I can do it. The fact is, I can appease God. Christianity, the gospel says, Christ did it all for you. The Bible calls that grace. He did it all for you and offers it as a gift. You don't, you're not working your way to heaven. You're not trying your best. He's done it all. And the Apostle Paul says, the God I'm going to tell you about, the one you don't know, he is the one that made you. And he gave you life and he gave you breath. And he doesn't dwell in any one of these dozens of temples you have in this city. Because he's above and beyond that. He's a spirit being. He is supernatural. Your gods are man-made. That's not supernatural. He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. And guess what? He doesn't need you. He doesn't need to be served by human hands. As he needs anything. You see, he's all-sufficient. He's self-existing. He's all-powerful. He has all of those things already. He made everything. If he needed something, he'd just make it. We can't do that, but he can, and that's what he did. And then he says, and he gave to all life and breath. Wow. You're living? It's because of this one you don't know. And he made from one, that's Adam, all the nations. And he goes on to say, you know, and he made it possible that we could grope for God. I don't know about you. My wife has the lights on in the house all the time. And I don't mean bright lights, but she thinks lights are decoration. By the way, it looks nice. So we, we understand that. But uh, if I lived by myself, it, the house would be dark. 
And you know what happens. You get up in the middle of the night, you want to go to the bathroom, and you're groping. That's the word here. And you stub your toe, and you wish you would have turned the light on. Well, he says, this God made it possible, even if it feels like you're groping in the dark, he made it possible that you can find him. Why? Because he's not far from any one of us. That's what it says. And for in him we live and move and exist. And by the way, and the Apostle Paul has no problem, once again, going right down to where they are. He says, even your own poets say we are the offspring of God. Now, they don't understand the true and living God either. They don't understand about Jesus, but they recognize somewhere along the line that there is a God above and beyond all these other gods. And so if they're saying we're the offspring of God, then we don't think of the divine nature or God as something that's gold or silver or the image or the art of man. But God is now declaring to you that you need to repent. You need to change your mind about what you worship about what you trust, how your sins are dealt with, what's going to happen to you when you die. There's a change that you need to do. That's all repent means. It means change your mind. Because he is going to judge the world. See, he made the world, gave life to all the world. He created it. He has a right to call us into account. And he's going to judge the world in righteousness. And every single person, I don't care what you think, uh, you have to answer to God. That's what it says. And how do I know that? He, he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. See, there have been great political leaders and religious leaders. And some of them have done great things. I'm not going to say they haven't. They've done great things, marvelous things. Not a single one of them is alive to carry out what they said they wanted to do and to fulfill what they started to do. Only Jesus. That's the resurrection. And he is alive to even bring judgment. Hold us accountable for what he's given to us. And he's given us Jesus. He's given us salvation. And now where I started the sermon. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. They said, Paul, or Pastor Paul in my case here, you know what? You've lost your mind. We don't need this. We're okay. You don't know us. Our, we, we, we don't beat our wives and we, we treat our children well and we do nice things for our neighbors. We, we, we don't need this. Pooh. Others said, we'll hear about this again. They said, man, this is something that I haven't really thought about. It takes some time to think in. Uh, yeah, think in sink in my thinking is what I'm trying to say. And um, I, I, I appreciate that. I never try to force anybody to trust Christ. Tell them the truth. And if they have questions, man, I'll, I'll talk till the cows come home to show and answer questions. They said, you know what? This is so new to us, we need to think about it some more. And then others joined him and believed. I don't know where you find yourself, but see, there's a guaranteed result. You're going to say, you know what, I showed up because I want chicken, so I could care less about this sermon and the songs and all that. And you know what, I'm going to leave here and kind of the same person I was when I came. Whew, that's a shame because there's good news. Christ died for your sins. 
you can be saved, you can know your sins are forgiven, and you're going to heaven. Others, and you might, and you go, wow, I didn't know all this stuff. I, I don't understand the Bible. By all means, what Peter said, and I'll say the same thing, probably not the rest of the day, I'll be so busy. But you know what? All you have to do is say, hey, Paul, I'd like to talk to you about this. I will be, go out of my way to talk with you. Done it many, many times. I'd be glad to do it again. has nothing to do with whether I'm a pastor or not. It has to do with I believe the truth, and I want other people to know the truth also. And then there's others who believe. Hopefully, you came in here today and you said, I've trusted Christ. I trusted him a long time ago or just lately. Whatever it is. But here's what I know. All of us will make a decision. That's guaranteed. I hope you don't do the first one. You sneer and just say, hey, I, I could care less about that. You want to know more? Talk to us. There's a whole bunch of other people here that would be glad to do exactly the same thing. But I encourage you, I'm going to have one word of prayer and I'm done because I told Peter I'd quit five minutes early. And uh, I'm going to do that. But I'm going to pray. But if you know that you've never trusted Christ, real simple. Not, you don't have to do anything except ask. It's grace. It's a gift. We take the gift. Do you believe that you're a sinner? Do you believe Christ died for your sin, paid the total full price of it? And it's not automatic. You have to make that choice. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you're a God that has just come right down to where we are, even if it feels like we're groping in the dark at times. But you've given us Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that anyone that's here that has never trusted Christ, that they would consider the claims of Christ. If they have questions, they would ask them. And if their questions are answered, and they're willing, that they would trust you here and now. Just saying, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Christ died for me, and I want your salvation. Lord, thank you so much for giving us this message and this good news. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter.